All right, so we are in the fourth week, but the third principle of this financial series that we're going through, and we'll just have one more, one more week. Now, of course, next Wednesday, there is no service the night before Thanksgiving, um, but the following Sunday, I mean, the following Wednesday, we'll finish this series up, and uh, really practical stuff. Hopefully, it's helping you make some sound financial decisions. And uh, it's been cool to see, you know, as um, uh, it's just, just neat to see our church growing financially and God meeting needs. And we're still collecting those faith promise cards. So if you haven't filled out your faith promise card, you can uh, do that tonight. Put it, put it out there as well. But um, tonight's principle is live appropriately. So if you take your hand out this evening and remember... Uh, let's just say the three principles really quickly. The, the three money challenge, challenge principles, we'll say them together out loud. First of all is give generously, then save wisely, and thirdly, live appropriately. So that's the one we're going to talk about tonight. That's the one we'll speak about tonight. And this scripture, I want to come back to this scripture, but uh, the opening scripture is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now that's interesting that God has instruction for people who are rich. Do you remember the statistic I shared the very first week of the class about, I asked the question, you know, about, you know, who is, who is wealthy, who is rich? Do you remember the statistic I shared? Yeah. That is exactly correct. The studies are that if you make $25,000 in a year, you are in the top 2% of people worldwide as far as having, having money. What, what, you're going to just let it go? Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but financially speaking, and that's what 1 Timothy 6.17 is saying. It, it's not saying charge them that are rich in Jesus, right? That's not the point. We, we know that. We are all rich in Christ if we have him. But he assumes that there will be Christians that have possessions. And he says, this is what you need to tell them. If you will, he says, you need to teach them what is appropriate living as a Christian who has means. And riches are relative, right? So $25,000 relative to the rest of the world makes us extremely wealthy. Um, even some of the, even those that live below, now I understand there is true poverty in America. I'm not discounting that. There are people that truly live in poverty. But if you look at even the, the people that live below the federal poverty line in America, most of them have, still have plenty to eat. They have technology, television, entertainment, all those things that we take for granted in America, which are extreme luxuries to the majority of people that live on this planet. Did you see that the planet just crossed a population of, what is it, uh, seven, seven billion, seven billion. Um, and so 98% live on less than $25,000 per year. So what does it mean to live appropriately? Well, he says this, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, 
nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That they may lay hold on eternal life. Again, I'd like to come back to that verse in just a few minutes. But let's have this discussion first on the inside. Um, and, and let me ask you tonight as we get this going, what comes to your mind? What comes to mind when we say live appropriately? How would you, how would you describe that or define that? When we say live appropriately, yes, sir. Okay, live below your means. I think that's a great principle there. Somebody else, live live appropriately. What would you what would you say about that? What does it mean to live live appropriately? Work enough so that you have some to give to the poor. Okay, work hard enough so you have some to give. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so living appropriately would not be a flashy lifestyle. Not a flashy lifestyle. Okay, yeah. To live responsible uh, like towards the environment and things like that. Don't you know, just buy things to, to waste and to you know, have more than you need. Yeah, that's a good point. We do waste a lot, don't we? And um, not to buy more than you need, even if you can afford it. Absolutely. Yeah. That phrase, that phrase you see in uh, verse number 18, willing to communicate, that's you know, a King James translation term. It's an older phrase. It literally means to share your stuff, communicate. It doesn't mean have a conversation. Uh, it's, the, it's exactly that. It's sharing is living appropriately. Somebody else, what comes to mind with living appropriately? Any other thoughts? Saving. Yeah, having a plan for saving. Somebody else? All right, well, let me give you a couple that were in the book. And I do, again, highly recommend, I do recommend that you pick up a copy of the Money Challenge or get the digital version. It's really, really a handy resource. So, first of all, I would say the, the, the first point that was made in this, and I've got some lines here, you can write some of these things down. But he says, have a realistic view, have a realistic view of possessions. A realistic view of possessions. Anybody have any idea what, they, what do you think he means by that? Have a realistic view of possessions? Yep. Okay. That's a, that's a good point. They put more value in a thing than it actually truly has. Are there, is that a thing now with the people that their shoes are going to? Shoes that appreciate, they believe that they will appreciate in value. Oh, it's a real thing. And then they sell them online at a market. It's when you're trying to buy the shoes to hold them, to sell them. It's a big deal right now. Okay. It was not uh, in the shoe flipping uh, business, but hey, interesting. Um, I guess that there's a market for that shows that people don't have a realistic view of that particular possession. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Re yeah I realistic view of possessions. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm not into all that stuff, but I'm familiar with the, I'm a little old school, I guess. Realistic view, yeah. That's, that's ultimately pretty realistic. Like, what's the old saying? You'll never see a hearse uh, with a U-Haul behind it, right? You can't take it with you. How about this one? We, realistically speaking, we ask our possessions to provide things for us that they cannot provide. We ask our, or we expect our possessions to provide something for us that they cannot provide. What kind of things do you think I mean by that? That's, what was that? Happiness. They, yeah, happiness. We say, well, if I would get this, and it's not just young people that do that. All of us do that. And yeah, absolutely. What else do we ask possessions to do for us that they can't? that they can never achieve? Sometimes love. You know, you, uh, gold diggers. <laughs> That's true. You know, right? You know, so you, you have a nice car, you have a nice house, you have all these things, and um, you believe that it will attract true love. Yeah. It doesn't. That's absolutely correct. And it's, we chuckle at that, but that happens in all different levels of life as well, you know? For sure, yeah. What do we Having a vehicle, uh, that, you know, that a lot of people have to have it. Yeah, yeah. So what, are we, so what are we asking it to do for us is the question. Yeah? Or maybe, so like we, we mentioned a couple of things, like bring romantic, romantic relationships into our lives or make us happy. Or some, a lot of people, it's for status. We want to have something so that we are viewed a certain way, which is really just feed, is just symptomatic of our own insecurity, right? That I need other people to validate me, and one of the ways they validate me is by seeing the stuff that I have and assuming that I must be successful, I must be a worthy person because I have the stuff, right? Superficial, yeah, exactly. So he says, living appropriately begins with a realistic view of possessions, first of all. The second thing is this. Living appropriately means, simply put, knowing what you can afford. Knowing what you can afford. How many of you have ever heard the term lifestyle creep? Has anybody heard this term? Yeah, okay. Lifestyle creep, what is it? What is it? Enlighten us. If you've heard the term, you know what it means? Yeah, that's, that's well put. So in other words, I make, you know, some kid entry level is making $30,000 a year, paying all the bills, and then gets a great job, is making $45,000, $50,000 a year. But what happens with that bump comes nicer car, upgraded apartment, more times out to eat, and then, it, but it never stops. And then they make $75,000, and then that. Pretty soon, you know, if their career's going well, they're making $100,000, and 
but they cannot afford to barely put gas in their car because of the, all of the lifestyle creep that has come up with it. You know, there is a study that was done that was the people's state of happiness in relation to how much money that they make. Okay? Now, we know that money can't buy you happiness, right? However, there is some truth to the fact that you need to make a certain amount of money in order to have a decent, uh, you know, a, a decent quality of life. And, that, and that's variable, but they took it in the United States as an average. They did st st studies where they looked at people's psychological well-being relative to their income. And they discovered that people's, and we're just going to use this word happiness very generically, right? We all know this isn't the deep spiritual joy and satisfaction. We're just talking normal human happiness. Their happiness increased in proportion to the money that they made up until they reached, I think the number was $70,000. You saw the study. So happiness increased with increased money up to about $70,000. Then, as the money increased, the happiness level in their life never did increase. So the, the principle is this, you need enough money to live. But understanding, and I guess the whole point, I've kind of gone on a rabbit trail here, and that is what it means to live appropriately is understand, know what you can afford, right? Like, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but we've got to watch out for that lifestyle creep. Knowing what you can afford is important. Thirdly, so what it means to live appropriately. So we said a realistic view of possessions, knowing what you can afford. And then thirdly, understanding the impact of purchases on giving and saving. Understanding the impact of purchases on giving and saving. So in other words, the trade-off effect. We all have trade-offs in our life, right? So, for instance, I have always valued, um, people value different things, monetarily speaking, okay? Some people value experiences higher than possessions, right? They'd rather go on a really nice vacation and have a very simple, basic car. Other people, they, like me, it's no secret, I like property. I have a big piece of property, nice piece of land. I enjoy that. And I've spent a lot of money on that. I've never one time bought a brand new car in my life, ever. Right? Always used cars. Why? Because I can't afford both. I can't have, you can't have, you know what I mean? There's trade-offs. And so we need to be careful too as we compare ourselves to others, which by the way, we're not supposed to do, but we do. We need to be careful when somebody takes a vacation or somebody goes on a trip or somebody's like, man, it seems like they always like to go out to eat. And you know what? If somebody likes to go out to eat all the time and they enjoy that and it brings some, 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 some happiness into their life, so be it. It's so long as they're trading off in balance. You know what I mean? Everything has, because like, we're not taking any of it with us, right? Like my house, it isn't coming with me. My property's not coming with me. So if, if, I, if I didn't have that property, I'd probably go out to eat a whole lot more than I do. Or I'd have nicer cars or whatever, because all of it is just relative. But, but some people never learn that we have to make those, those trade-offs, right? 
and so everything has to grow in proportion. And that's, it impacts. The impact of our purchases, um, just because I can afford it today, doesn't mean that it's not robbing from a future, future need tomorrow, okay? This is all stuff that your grandfather would have told you, but they're biblical principles too. All right, so, and then fourthly, what he, what he said in the book, what it means to live appropriately. I think this is a really good one for, for we Christians, for us Christians, to use proper grammar. Greater, finding greater fulfillment in advancing God's kingdom than our kingdom. Greater fulfillment advancing our kingdom than God's kingdom. Does it feel good to improve your status in life? Not a trick question. Does that feel good, to improve your status in life? Get a better job, make more money, upgrade some of the things in our lives? Yeah, but in a sense, in those moments, what we're doing is we're establishing our kingdom, right? Like, you might not feel like a king or a queen or whatever, but that, you know, in a sense, we all have our little empire to scale, and as we improve it, it makes, it feels good. But the question as a Christian is this, the, the question is, am I more, do I get that same level of satisfaction through seeing God's kingdom advanced? Right? Like, am I more concerned with, with the, 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 you know, in my area, whether it's my local church or my local church missions program or maybe a ministry that I'm very involved with, Am I more excited when the, like we renovated this whole church and we fund our bus ministry and we see all these kids come in. What are we doing there? We're advancing God's kingdom. And we should get more excited about that than about, you know, what our next purchase is or what, our, what we're going to do or our next vacation or any of that, right? Any thoughts on that? Would anybody say, like, any thoughts on more fulfillment in God's kingdom than our kingdom? I agree. All right. Yeah, yeah. That that'll work. Yeah. 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 Of course it is. So how? But now think about it from a financial perspective. You sh so we should, you know, I invest our resources in those kinds of things, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So a lot of this is about asking better questions. For instance, when we talked about giving, the question often people say was, well, how much should I give? Well, maybe we should ask the question, how much should I keep? How much should I keep? Right? It's a, sometimes it's good to turn the questions around. Now, let's look at Matthew 6, 19 and 20. We know, we're familiar with this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think it's just really interesting, and I know we've quoted this verse a lot, but there's, a, there's going to be in heaven for all of eternity like a record of our investment. Just think about that. Just like, uh, how many of you still have a bank book? Does anybody still have a bank book, like a savings account? Who's got one? You're going to admit it? All right. So you got a bank book with that? You, or maybe you get a statement, and it shows the value of your investment or the value of your account, and you look it up, and there's, there's what you've put in over the years. This is the record of what's there. 
Well, when you're dead, it's meaningless. But in heaven, it's as if we've made, been making investments here in this life, and there's an eternal record of what our investments have accomplished. Yes, sir? I would say all of the above. But it's not, but it definitely, it certainly includes money. Because this is a concept here about, about money, laying up treasures. Paul would say in Philippians to the, to the Christians that gave to his ministry, Paul would say, I desire fruit that abounds to your account. Paul says, I don't want, it's not that I want your money. I want to see you making an investment in, in souls in eternity. So it's significant what we do. And there's no, God's economy, of, our economy of scale means nothing to God. A thousand dollars, God can do just as much with ten dollars as he can with a thousand dollars. Do you believe that? I mean, when you think about it. So it's really the heart of the giver and the heart of the investment. That's, you get, our eternal investments will give a far greater yield than any, than any investment you can make here in this world. Okay. So let's do this. Let's take a minute and go back to the, the passage on the front page, 1 Timothy, and let's just think through this a little bit more slowly, and then we'll talk for about five or ten minutes on some really practical stuff. So, charge them that are rich in this world. Again, I think we established who are those who are rich in this world. I'm going with that. I would say us, you know. Those of us that have, we have means. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. First thing that comes to mind, somebody help me out. Be not high-minded. Go ahead, just. You're not better than anybody else. That's, yeah. Money makes us feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? It's like, nope, not better than anybody else. Okay, so don't be, don't think of yourself better than anybody else. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Quick, somebody. What comes to mind? Lottery. Huh? Lottery. Lottery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, so don't view yourself better than other people. And then don't build your security on riches. Don't trust in uncertain riches. Just because you have it today doesn't mean you're going to have it tomorrow. So don't trust in those things. But in the living God. So if you could really quickly just look at these, this first statement that make sure that money doesn't rob you of a deep relationship with God. Trust in God. Why? Because he's the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Any quick observations about that statement? Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy? I think there's actually some interesting thoughts on that we could talk about. Obviously, it's the, the, the most obvious thing is that whatever you have comes from God, right? But what else is implied here? Yeah? What else is implied here? That's true. Yeah. It just comes, it comes from, yep. Somebody else? What else here? That's all good stuff. There's more, too, though. What does that mean? It's pretty simple to enjoy it. Yeah, but do you think, but sometimes we can make a mistake, too, like, like we, we can, t t what were you going to say? Yeah. So, yep, 
Okay? Yeah, one of the things I'm getting at here is there's also nothing wrong with enjoying what you have. We don't need to feel guilt about what we have, so long as the other principles are in place. God has not called us, you know, to, he's not, we're not called to riches and we're not called to poverty. If God has given us things to enjoy, it also honors him to enjoy those things, right? So you don't need to feel guilty about taking a vacation. You don't need to feel guilty about the, 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 the car that you enjoy driving. You don't need to, you know, any of those things, the, the home that you live in, so long as all the other principles are in place. So enjoy what you have. Be thankful for it. And now verse 18, though, that this is now really practically speaking, God gives us all these things. So what are you supposed to tell? Timothy, what do I want you to tell the rich folk? Well, make sure that they do good, that they be rich in good works. What comes to mind there? Yeah, being generous with their time, that they're spending time rather than, because the temptation is when we have the stuff to enjoy, we only spend our time enjoying our stuff. And we, we live in a, an entertainment crazed society, don't we? There's so much to enjoy. We can enjoy food, we can enjoy sports, we can enjoy uh, movies, we can enjoy trips, we can, I, I mean, there, there's so much because of our abundance we can spend our time pleasing ourselves so much. And that's always been the case for very wealthy people. It has not always been the case for regular people. But in America, even regular people have the opportunity to spend tons of time pleasing ourselves because of the riches that we have. So he says, hey, make sure if you've got these riches, make sure you spend your time doing good things. Spend time with others. Be generous with your time for others. Ready to distribute. Ooh, what is that? What, like, describe that. Ready to distribute. Yeah, like I, I, I imagine it's like, oh, there's a need, there's a need, all right, let me help out because I've got it, I've got the need, I've got the, I've got the, the opportunity, let me meet the need, the check is in hand, the, the, the money's there, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to help somebody out, yeah. Um, I, well, I, I, I personally have an account. Yeah, I personally have a separate account that I will use that every time I get a paycheck, a portion of that paycheck, a small portion, goes into an account to help people. But the church does meet needs. In fact, just so you know, there was a need that was just this week presented to the church to help somebody. And the church will be able to, to, to from the church account, to make a bit of a help, but it's not quite enough. We need, so if anybody, I've got, I, I was made aware of about a $500 need, a genuine need of somebody anonymous that I know really needs the help. So if anybody would say, you know what, you know, after church, you'd say to me, hey, I'd give 25 bucks to help with that, or 10 bucks, or 100 bucks, or whatever, there is a need out there to, just to make you aware of. Um, and, but that's the kind of idea. So somebody told me about that need. I think that's the point. And, and it's like, oh, I have some money set aside ready to do that with. So I think that's part of the idea. If we've been blessed, we need to be ready to distribute. This is living appropriately. This is how a Christian lives financially. 
But honestly, I know a lot of people who aren't Christians, they live this principle in their life. They're very generous. So, but as Christians, we ought to definitely lead in the way. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And then 19 is interesting. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Is the, the idea here isn't that, well, if you don't give money, you're not going to receive eternal life. The point is that they are just, they're, they're fixed hold on eternity. It's eternal values that really matter. And there's no question that their life is focused on, what it, on the future that is to come, not just on the here and now. Okay. So, now, let's finish on the inside right page. We'll go over there, take just a few minutes, and talk about some super practical stuff. Budgeting priorities. Now, budgeting is something that's very basic. You probably learned about it in school, but maybe not. And sometimes people would say, you know what, this stuff is, this financial stuff is really helpful, but my finances, yes, sir. How many of you never, ever growing up into your, you know, you became an adult and nobody ever sat you down and showed you some good financial stuff like this? Never. Nobody ever taught you this. So there's a few raising their, their hand. Nobody. Go ahead. Raise your hand just so I can see because some of you aren't raising your hand. Nobody ever really gave you good. Yeah. All right. There's quite a few of us in here. Only Christian. After I became a Christian. After you became a Christian. Cool. So. Yeah, we shouldn't assume, I guess, that this. So budgeting. A budget is just really simply put, it's, you could actually call it a spending plan. It's a spending plan. I have money coming in. What is my plan for where that money is going to go? Because how many of you discovered if you don't have a plan, the money seems to make its own plan just automatically. It just like knows what to do, right? And it, it's almost like it spends itself. Yeah, where did it go? Where did it go? I've had those moments before. Like, where did it all go? Yeah. George Campbell said that um, a budget is telling your, your money what to do, and, and if you don't have a budget, then uh, your money is telling you what to do. That's very well put. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, budgeting priorities. I love this statement. This was from... Uh, I've heard it from a lot of different people, but money is for living and giving. Really put, money is the, it's for living and giving. Don't hold on to it too tight and plan your budget accordingly. Now, an imbalanced budget, somebody needs to explain this to the federal government, but good luck with that. But an imbalanced budget means there's more going out than coming in. More going out than what is coming in. There's really just two solutions to an imbalanced budget. It's oh, there's a third solution, print more. That's right. That is, that is true. If you don't know, Nate prints our money. So uh, literally, literally. Yeah, that's true. So there's two, ways, there's two ways to solve an imbalanced budget. You're either going to make more or you're going to Spend less. Make more or spend less. But you should have a plan for it. Let's talk about a couple of the big ones. Now, before that, you'll notice on the back, 
I copied and pasted the Dave Ramsey monthly, monthly cash flow plan. Anybody here use Dave Ramsey stuff in the past that you have? Okay, so a few of you have. He's got all kinds of tools, and most of them are free. Most of them are free. He offers a financial course as well that a lot of churches do. Um, we have not done it. We, we may do it some, someday in the future. I do this one because it's a little simpler. But he's got a program called Financial Peace University, which is fantastic. But this is his monthly cash flow plan. And this is just to get you started with a budget. If you're more technologically uh, app, there's a, uh, prone, there's a great app called You Need a Budget, Y-N-A-B. You need a budget. You can put everything on your phone and track it like that. Um, and there's tons of tools. Sometimes, though, I just like to write things out on paper, you know, just write it down. And so he kind of gives you a way to, to, break it, to break it down. But obviously, the main priorities in budgeting are food and shelter, right? It's, it's, it all comes down to that. Like, you got to have enough, you got to survive, and you got to have a place to live. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about housing. Should I buy a home? Yes or no? Well, that one is a trick question. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I should buy a home. What are the variables? Yeah. Do I have any other debt? That's a great point. What are some other variables? That's a good point. Are you called to be a missionary? Like maybe you're not going to be attached somewhere. But not just necessarily a missionary. Let's take it like a general rule, and you can write this down, is will I live in this location for five years is one big question. Do I, will I live here for five years? Now back in the, do you remember when um, Mr. Obama was helping everybody buy houses? Do you remember we had that thing back in uh, 2008, nine maybe, and it was like, I forget what the deal was, but like you could get this huge rebate if you bought a house. Now it definitely got a lot of people to buy houses, so it, it um, primed up the, the housing market, helped, it, it helped the housing market when it was in trouble. So I'm not even here to say whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. That's above my pay grade right now. But when they did that, I knew I had somebody I know personally that they were living in a place where they, um, where they were not going to live long term. They were going to be there a couple of years, but they're like, you know what? This is such a great deal. Let's buy the house. So they bought the house. Well, guess what? Two years later, it's time to move, and now what are they trying to do? They're trying to sell the house. Well, guess what? Huh? Yeah, they're upside down. So they actually now owe more on the house, and the housing values didn't plummet, but they just took a little dip. And what happened was they actually lost money on that house and gained a lot of stress in their life, where if they had just rented for a couple of years, they would have been, they would have been fine. They would have been better off. So buying a house isn't, is usually a good idea, but not always. So the one, the one rule is the five-year rule. The second rule is the 20% down, the 20% down rule. Do you have 20% to put down? Because the 20% down ensures against what Nate just said. 
you put the 20% down, housing values rarely fluctuate. If they fluctuate 20%, it's very, unus it's very unusual in normal circumstances. So you'd you would, with 20% down, you've protected that investment. You say, hey, what about all these first-time homebuyer programs where you don't have to put any money down? What do you think of that? Should you just go ahead and buy the house? What do you think, Mike? Yep. Um, and then it also is like there's probably a psychological effect of putting twenty five percent down. There is. Those are really good points, actually. They're excellent points. I'd still be tempted to buy the house and use the bank's money, but I would make sure I still had that twenty percent sitting in an account somewhere. So that I, so if the interest rate was incredibly low and I could do I'd be, I don't know that there's a right or wrong exactly, but I'd make sure I still had the 20%, whether I put it down or I left it as a security fund somewhere. So when it gets into that, so, that's, so the 20% is a, is a good point. Um, the goal of owning a home should be long term, I will live somewhere and not have to pay my living expenses. The goal of a home is to eventually pay the home off. But if you speak with most mortgage originators, what they'll tell you is, oh, most people refinance every 10 years anyway. And so they never, people are just, they never truly own their home. The bank always owns it. Refinance, 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 die. Here you go, kids. Sell this thing. Deal with it. Right? That's the, that's what happens. But the plan is low interest rate, good down payment, you, you do it over time and eventually when you're older you don't have a house payment because you've made that payment over the years. Now I kind of nerd out on some of this stuff because there's ways with investing in property that you can fast track that and pay it off early and do you know creative financing and stuff but that's kind of like the next level. So like the Dave Ramsey budgeting solutions they get us a foundation and then when you have a solid financial foundation then you can start going on to the next level, making investments, taking on some risk, things like that. But it's important to start with a sound foundation. Okay, so these are, these are just general guidelines. Um, other things to consider is it's more than just a payment, right? Because there are additional costs to owning a home. So if the payment is X, well then I also need to factor in how much I'm going to spend in maintenance, et cetera, repairs over the years, right? So in budgeting, when planning, if you're looking at your house payment, there's one other rule, and that's the 25, or some people would say 30% rule for house payment. Does anybody know what the 25 or 30% rule is on a house payment? Should it be more than that percentage of your income? Right. So basically, if you look at your, your one week's pay, should make your house payment, right? And the rest of the month, pays for everything else, you're saving, you're giving, et cetera. But that way, if you lose your job, you should be in a better place where you don't lose your home, right? Because only a quarter of your take-home pay is going toward your, the place that you live. That's a really good rule to live by. So um, it's just kind of like easy math to be like, can I afford this? Well, answer that question. How about cars? That's another thing that people get in their, um, in their budgets. 
you go to a car dealership, and what is the first thing that the, the car salesman asks you? That's exactly what they say. What do you want your monthly payment to be? And they have ways of getting that monthly payment low and long, right? So I think we all know you buy a car, you drive that off the lot, and the depreciation is, is just, it's tragic, very tragic, the way that thing depreciates. So when it comes to taking on debt, now, some people will say, you know, you shouldn't get a car loan. They'll say you should not get a car loan because it depreciates. I would say the point is this. If you're going to take out a car loan, you need to, again, make a plan where the value of that car is never less than what you owe on that car, right? Because debt is a killer. Debt is a killer. But technically, if your asset the car, is worth what you owe on it, are you actually in debt on that car? No. You might be making a payment to someone, but you're not in debt in like the biblical sense of debt, where you've borrowed money from somebody. Because what's happened is somebody that, that, that is a repossessable asset. If you don't make your payment, you can give the car back, so you're not in debt. Unless you're upside down. If you couldn't afford a down, if you didn't make a down payment, you've 100% financed a car. And then they sell things like gap insurance, and you're just paying all of this. Um, so you don't, you don't want to do that. That's a, that's a bad thing. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. So you want to make sure that your, whatever your possession is worth is at least equal, if not greater, than whatever amount you owe on that. And those are just good rules to live by. Any other thoughts or questions on that? Yes, sir. Right. You live to make you can live to make payments. Yes. Yeah. If you didn't hear what Nate said, the guy with the BMW delivering pizza, because that's probably his evening job to pay for the to pay for the BMW. Um, so these are just simple decisions, and I think as Christians especially, we need to remember, well, as a Christian, like, you know, I'm supposed to be a generous giver. If my payments are so out of control, if my life is so out of control that I cannot give, then I'm not living the life that Christ has called me to. And if I can't save, then I'm not being a good steward for my family, for my, for my children. So, but a lot of this starts with, um, and there's other things you'll see on here, things like budgeting for food and entertainment. Like, that's kind of that trade-off conversation that we had earlier. You know, we're all going to make trades. There's some things that you enjoy that I don't care about, but I enjoy things that, that and everybody, so, people are so judgy, aren't they? Like, can you believe how they spend their money? I didn't know they could afford that. Boy, what? No, don't be like that, right? 
like, just understand, we all make these, we all have budgets, we all say, you know what, I'm going to spend the money on this, but not on this, this, not, but all of us, we should not expect, listen, a Christian person, I don't believe a Christian, that our spending life spending should look like the people we work with in all areas. Now, unless the people that you work with who aren't Christians are giving very generously to whatever, but like we should have a different spending profile in our lives. And I know that, I'm sure most of us do, but we need to be reminded of that. Like the way that we live and the way that we save and the way that we spend is for the glory of God. And that helps sometimes, listen, it's not self-righteous, it's, a, it's an encouragement sometimes. When things are tight and when you're, you're like, man, I just wish I could spend the money on that. Remind yourself, remind yourself of this. You know what? I just, you know, I've been giving, let's just throw, I've been giving $50 a week to missions or to the work of the Lord. If I wasn't given that $50, I could live it up like and do the things that person's doing too. But I've chosen, now that doesn't make me, I'm not going to get high-minded about it. But sometimes that's an encouragement to remember, but well, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not enjoying all the things that I see around me, but I just deposited it into my account in heaven. I'm doing this for a different purpose. And that will just kind of, for me, sometimes that just re-motivates and recharges and says, okay, this is why I'm not, I remind myself why I'm living differently. And I hope that would be an encouragement to you as well. Anyway, there's obviously more we could talk about with this, but um, live appropriately financially in a way that honors God. We honor him with our resources. Let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll close up. Can you get that? You take care of it. Thank you. Lord, we love you and thank you that, again, that your word just speaks so clearly to us and so directly. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be faithful with the resources, the time, and the treasures that you've given us. Please bless the next few minutes that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.